I tell everyone when I am outside the car on the practice tree, I'm playing. When I am in the car on the practice tree, I'm practicing. There's that much of a difference. It's time for Class Racing Today, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. Welcome back to another episode of Class Racing Today, uh, the podcast where you learn things about class racing with Brian and Bobby. Uh, it is still the new year, and we are excited. Uh, this uh, this year is stacking up to be a great one. So, with uh, no further ado, Brian, how are you today? I'm doing great. Awesome. We got some nice weather on the way. What, 37, I think, for a high here in South Dakota. We're going to be 40s next week, and... I actually unmothballed my car and we pulled the motor and transmissions and tore it all apart and doing a big rewire job. So I'm starting to get excited talking about class racing again. Uh, Bobby, I noticed that you are uh, pimping some some more um, merch or something behind you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm always outnumbered on this show. I have to represent my brand. But a uh, a good friend of mine sent me this banner here and it was too nice you know i had to i had to get it up there so <laughs> thank you steve my buddy steve out in pa awesome what's on tap today well today we have probably one of the most uh feared drivers in i mean not only nhra division one stock eliminator but in the entire country and she actually she went on an absolute tear in 2019 when she won the uh, Stock Eliminator Championship, not only that, she won the Division One Championship with a perfect five for five final round, five wins. She put up 525 points, which is perfect. I don't think it's ever been done before, um, let alone, I don't know all the hi history behind like the first woman to do. I know she's the first woman to do such a thing because she's the first person to do such a thing. So without further ado, we have Allison. Allison Smith, who is now, since 2018, Allison Daw. Welcome, Allison. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, and I uh, look forward to talking some class racing with you. Now, Allison, for those that don't know, runs, well, B-Stock Automatic uh, 98 Firebird, sometimes A-Stock Automatic, though, right, Allison? Yeah, if it's an A, B, and C, um, I don't run C as much anymore since we got uh, hit with weight and 2015 early on in the season um it's just really hard to get the car to see weight with me in it <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of the other drivers have an extra 100 pounds to kind of sit in the seat and i don't so just hanging an extra 100 pounds off the car you know you quickly run out of space so we're kind of stuck in a and b um although it feels like c is really the place to be right now but it is what it is <laughs> I know, Allie, I think you and I are the only two human beings that can actually fit in the, your car and my car. So. Anthony Fetch could squeeze into mine, too, so he probably can fit into yours, but <laughs> you know, he's wiry, so, you know, he fits right in. But, yeah, I, I kid with Anthony all the time, like, we're, like, the only two who can fit in this thing. <laughs> so you're up in A and B. That's where, Brian, you're up in A and B also, right, with your Camaro? Yes, yep. The popular destination right now <laughs> it feels like uh, every time you go to a race, um, even though they're limiting the nationals really hard. So I, I'd say at an average division one race, we have eight B stock cars. So at a, you know, at a divisional, 
you take 110 stalkers and you have eight B stalkers, that's not a big deal. But I feel like at the nationals, it's you still have the eight B stock cars, but now you only have 60 people, and it's like, oh my god, There's pull no, hair out. <laughs> what am I gonna do? To, but yeah, yeah, it, it feels like the proportion doesn't actually change when you go to the nationals. It's that so it makes the heads up seem way more complicated. But Does like that, I said, it's a popular destination right now. Oh yeah. Does that play a big role in your in your strategy? It does for me because, well, you're probably in the same situation, but the LT1 cars, um, I mean, they're they're fast, but compared to how the other cars are competitive on the index, I would say we're not definitely not the most competitive car against the index. So you got to kind of play it smart. You don't want to get in a situation that you can't win or, you know, you don't have a good exit from. So it, it is hard. And I think that's why it makes nationals more difficult for our car type than divisionals. Yeah, I've never, uh, I haven't found myself. I'll, let's, I take that back. I was in one heads up round, but at the point it was uh, like the first race everyone went to was just an association race. And of course it was against Corda, who has probably got 60 horsepower on what I had <laughs> at the time. So yeah, I was like, I went like 400 red. I was so nervous and excited at the same time that it really didn't matter. It, you know, it, it's really difficult. And um, I find myself, I'd say on average, I get eight heads up runs a year and probably six of those on the slower car. And I probably squeak by four, you know, it, it's probably 50, 50. And everyone asked me like in 2019, what a big contributor was to winning the championship. And I'm like, well, instead of eight heads up rounds, I only had, I think I had three or four. It was, it was like half. And it's not that I really did anything different. It's just, I got, I would say I got lucky in some situations where um, say I won first round, second round was going to be a heads up, but the car that was going to be heads up lost by some miracle, <laughs> you know, stuff that doesn't normally happen for me happened. And I was like, wow, this is great. I may actually have a chance here. So, I mean, Heads up are huge in stock eliminator. They change the whole outcome. And it's why stock's not just the bracket race. It, I mean, there's a huge bracket component, but you always have that heads up just looming over you. So now in at New Media in 2019, when you race Joe Santangelo, is that a heads up every time? Uh yeah, he's running B pretty much exclusively right now. Okay. And, and uh you guys had a semifinal heads up, right? Or a final. Yep, it was in the semis and he had me covered. Um, and I remember going up and just figuring I had nothing to lose, you know. Sometimes it's a good feeling. I mean, it's never a good feeling, know that you probably can't win if on paper. But if you go up and you know you really have nothing to lose, you can really push the tree because you just right. go up, do the best you can. There's nothing to yeah. lose, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, but he had me covered on paper, but I got pretty lucky that he spun the tires and I had enough of a head start that he just couldn't catch up. Well, that's why they're not raced on paper. He, there's always anything can happen. And, and the way his car transfers weight, I mean, go on YouTube and watch his car leave. You would. It's a monster. Be hard pressed <laughs> to see him spin. So it was just right place, right time. Like, like this sport is just like Alan Reinhardt always says, it's a right place, right, right time sport. So. Yeah. And I remember like, so when I, drove up to the lanes um joe always comes over and starts to flip right away and so he flips the coin and i'm like oh, joe you can have whatever lane you want i mean 
<laughs> I don't, I don't have a choice. You know, I don't really have a chance. So like, take whatever you want. I'll, I'll be fine in the other one. And, uh, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, because the other play, I guess I could have done was try to put them in the worst lane, but honestly at the media, they were both practically equal that weekend. So I didn't really think there's anything I was going to do except go upstage and hope for the best. Right. It just goes to show too, there's a mindset involved, like <clears throat> knowing that you've got a chance, you know, just go up there. There's nothing to lose. Like the guy that probably has the guarantee probably has the most pressure sometimes. And, you know, just not letting it get in your head, go up and just rip the tree down and make a good look. And that's what's kind of cool about it. Like that's where I struggle is like, I'm all, I'm so paranoid about it, but yet it's never actually happened. So I think it's more of a fear of the unknown and you kind of take yourself out of the fight when that gets in your head. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of situations where I'm the underdog in a heads-up situation. And, like, for example, one of the best heads-up cars probably in our division in my class is uh, uh, Jim Boudreau. He is just a monster because he knows exactly what he can do to his car. He never spins. He always comes out, and he's 40 or 50 on the tree, and he probably always has almost everyone covered by a tenth, you know? So, I mean, that's pretty much an unbeatable combination. And the only way you're going to beat it is you got to go up and just give it your all, you know, not be afraid because really he's probably going to do the same thing he always does. And he's probably going to win. So you're just making a time trial. Just go have fun <laughs> and, you know, hope something different happens. <laughs> but, but what a, what a honor though, to beat somebody like that. That's unbeatable. Like that'd be the coolest part. Like that's better than winning the race probably. It would be awesome. I've never beaten him, so I don't know the feeling yet. But <laughs> <laughs> Jim's Jim's awesome. Like he's such a nice guy, and uh, I've had the honor to losing to him in both the semis and the quarters, and he went on and won both of those races. And I'm like, well, I feel like I was a little piece in that <laughs> in his wins, <laughs> but he's just a great guy. He's always been fast too. Now, were were you guys on par with his combo? Maybe not uh, personally with. Jim, because he's just he's just out of the a monster. Park. But up until 2015, where you guys, before you guys got the hit, um, did that really just pretty much guarantee that your combo just can't run with those older combos now? I would say that before we had the hit, we probably could have forced him to take a hit if he was running us. Whereas now, I think he has enough room that he could, you know back into us or there's enough room that he could probably stay below the automatic horsepower trigger you know and with the number of 69 camaros there are uh i think if it gets flagged he's probably still not going to get a hit so i would say the hit on us probably made it uh close to impossible for a, us to give a 69 camaro a permanent hit um that being said you know if you get that unbelievable air that's you know mine shaft conditions um it could still be possible i'm not saying it's out of the park i'm just saying the conditions would have to be right everything would have to be 100 percent right now whereas before i think we had a better chance i'm not saying we could have beat him flat out but i'm saying with the automatic course powering maybe mentally he wouldn't want to take the stripe right yeah possibly he so could still get like he could still cut a, a 120 light by accident and now now you have your shot to push him out. Exactly. Take, so take the hit. It's a chess game. You have to play that. I can't stand when people do this thousand foot racing crap. 
if you get oh, paired yeah. up heads up against the same guy constantly and you guys keep doing a thousand foot race you're just an idiot in my opinion like do your best to make him get hit with horsepower yeah like, if why, i'm not why not i i that's my mindset you know if you're not gonna if you can't win it at least you can help yourself to try to be able to win it the next time right a long-term um, investment yeah exactly and it is what it is but like that's kind of yeah so comp is definitely more of a chess game but stock is also a chess game in some regards with the heads ups well, that's what i'm doing that's why i'm moving up to k l was my hiding ground for when i was slow i'm a little quicker now i'm ready to tassel with the uh with the big you know the big guys in k k can be very crowded too sometimes mm -hmm. you go to a divisional there's one or two of them and then sometimes you go and there's seven or eight of them and yeah, yeah. it just depends who wants to run where what week <coughs> and uh the big problem like moving from A to B is that uh, in A, you lose in 10th on the index. So if you're at a race where I can qualify 90 under in B, I can only qualify 80 under in A because of how the index changes with weight. So it is tough for me to go to A. I like it better. I like being faster. It's fun, you know, yeah. and I think the car likes it better too. You know, you're not hanging weight on it. It's transferring as it's meant to transfer. When you're hanging weight on it, sometimes I think, you know, you're trying to put it in the back of the car and it acts more like a seesaw rather than just naturally coming up and going. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's all these things to think about, but at the end of the day, you got to look at where you're most competitive because you don't want to put yourself out of the equation just because you in a class that you shouldn't be in. Right. And that, and that was another thing. I want to be as light as possible. I think it would just maybe add to the consistency of for a low power car like mine. To just get out, get out of the hole quicker and not have to, you know, carry, lug that weight down the track. That was, hey, at the very least, at the very least, it's something to try. I mean, yeah. I didn't know my car was more consistent without the weight in it. And I didn't know it liked it better until I took it all out. And unfortunately, it probably cost me the division championship in 2015 being in A because I lost so many heads ups. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I learned a lot about the car and I drove better and it, it was, there was good and bad, but you know, you never know until you try something. And a 10th of a second is a lot of spots on our qualifying sheet. I mean, I, cause L L has a weird 1270 index and K has a 1265. So that five hundredths right there, just if five hundredths moves, I, cause I pay attention to that a lot on our sheets. It's like 15 spots. You can move up just by going five hundredths. So for you, a 10th might've been, you know, that 15 to 20 spots. You could move up right there. If yeah, you're really trying to me. play the yeah. game, you know? And at the time, um, so at the very beginning of 2015, I started the year by blowing my motor. <laughs> oh, it was a rough year. So first we had the weight hit. Then I blew my motor. I was just like, yeah, I should just not be racing this year, <laughs> but you know, um, but when we put the motor back together, we didn't dyno it. We didn't really, we just threw it back together. And um, BS did a great job. They got it back to me in like two weeks. It was awesome. And so I'm very thankful for that. But the car just wasn't where it should have been, you know. And it, you know, it, it is what it is. I got to race. I'm not complaining, but I probably should have at that point. Like I had done everything to set the car up to run A. So I just stuck with it. But at that point, when I realized how much slower it was, I probably should have moved it to B. Um, but, you hindsight. know, hindsight. Mm -hmm. yep. Oh, yeah. Hindsight really is 2020 now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I had to throw that in. <laughs>
<laughs> the thing I think on our cars too that gives us a little bit of an advantage is the weight distribution is so good on the, that chassis and they work so good. I feel like if I go to A, I mean, it doesn't work probably quite as good in B, but I think other people to try to lighten their car up, I think there's maybe a slight advantage in our, in our platform that way. You know, a lot of guys to lighten up to get to A, A, it's, it's hard for some to get to A, but you lose that 10th. But I just feel like my car lightened up as light as I can get it might work a little better than a lot of the other cars that I might see in A too. I I agree. I think they work extremely well in A. Um, I did have to change front shocks when I went to A. I was having some spinning problems. And that's when I went to Mickey tires and I changed to stand tough shocks. That was huge. And honestly, Another reason I changed the stand tufts is I had single adjustable shocks. I changed to double adjustable and the single adjustable, I was coming down and you know, those cars do monster wheelies, the Firebirds. And it came down and I was like bouncing away, you know, probably till half track. And then it would finally smooth out and go. And uh, I think I was loosening up wires left and right. Cause I had like an electrical issue every week and I put the sand tufts on and that went away. It was hooking better, transferring better. So it's all about shocks, tires, and weight for those cars. For sure. So do you know, on your car, do you run, uh, like on the torque arm, do you run the medium length or the long or the short? I really don't know. It's probably all still whatever the previous owner had, honestly. Yeah. Um, there's a lot we changed in the car. We have done, <clears throat> my brother especially has done a lot to the car. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff that's never been changed since it was built in the early 2000s. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, the cars just work. I know that's, I run the, they make three different torque arms, the short ones, like what the factory has. And then I run the medium length and that thing just, you know, I'm leaving with a 514 gear. I can leave it 5,100 RPM and it just, you know, smokes a tire and it just hooks and go. And that starting to learn a little more about that is not knowing much about the whole thing. Like getting the suspension right does seem. And like you said, a good set of front shocks. Like I just upgraded mine because I felt like the one the shocks that were running i didn't have the adjustability i wanted it felt like one click was not enough two clicks was too much so there's a lot to get in that front suspension right but it's just nice how the cars just work and makes it a lot easier to drive yeah it's a great car it, it's it's like they designed it for racing for what we're doing i mean until you need great. to change spark plugs then it's not a great car or it pull sucks. the motor or anything else or uh oil um opti spark yeah that isn't that a common thing that breaks on those Yes, uh, the OptiSpark actually, I was, I can't say it cost me a division championship, but it cost me the opportunity to try to get it. We were at Rockingham in 2018, and third round, I had to run Little Jimmy, who won the championship that, the division championship that year. And uh, second round, when I went through the traps, the OptiSpark disintegrated, <laughs> and mm. uh funny enough story I was actually running Joe Santangelo heads up when that happened and I know Joe and I meet all the time like I think I've raced him more than anyone but so uh the OptiSpark lets go Joe wasn't getting around me but when the OptiSpark let go he probably if he had rugged it he probably would have gotten around me funny enough but he let off because he knew I was going to take the stripe it's just so bizarre how some of the times these things happen but the obvious spark let go and like at the mile an hour cone i tried to start it obviously at the finish line couldn't get anything um 
they make the decision that they're going to run stock immediately after Superstock. So we had just run, they were going to run Superstock and then they were going to bring us back around quick because we had more, one more round than everyone else. And OptiSpark is at least a 45 minute when you're not exactly sure what you're doing and have, you don't have all the right tools, at least an hour to change um, item. And 30, we had it off the car about when Jimmy was pulling in the water box. Because oh. <laughs> I remember turning around and being like, yeah, I'm not going to make that. Uh, it was just a rough day, but. Brian, do you have that too? Or are they like, Allison's LT1, Brian, your LS1. All right, this is the episode where I just ask the dumbest questions about GMs because I don't know anything about them. Hopefully there's a listener out there that knows as little as I do. Is one of those motors bigger than the other one? Uh, that's a good question. Are I they like, what's the cubic inches on those things? Like uh, like 340, 350? 346 is the LS1, and we have a, so the LS1's coil on plug. So there's an individual coil for each cylinder. Yeah, we don't have an individual coil for each cylinder, and uh, we have the OptiSpark. <laughs> and uh, I guess they say it's 350 for the LT1, probably somewhere in that room. Like right around 350. Got it. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, a, this is why we started GMs. this podcast anyway, so I could learn stuff. I'm not a techie guy either, Bobby. <laughs> so don't ask me questions like that ever again on the radio. Uh, oh come if on. If there's any That's GM guys here. listening in, by the way, like any GM engineers, OptiSpark, worst thing ever. Never do that again. <laughs> Terrible. Horrible. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the guy that figures out how to make that work. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so but that LT I do think the LT1 combo is probably a better I mean there's some I think advantages to the LS1 for durability and like I said coil and plug and there's some really good technology there but that thing's been beat like a dog over the years and the horsepower is pretty high on it where I do think maybe a good LT1 I think the LT1s will outrun an LS1 on average. I think that combo might be a little better but there's some durability and just consistency issues probably that aren't quite as good but what do I know I'm 2 years in. Well, take my advice. Uh, Allie, what is your car rated at? What's the advertised and what's the rating? Yeah, the advertised is uh, 285 and we're currently at 348, I think. I know this, except now that we have the virtual tech cards, I feel like I don't remember it. I write When I write stuff out, I remember it better. Yeah. But yeah, we're definitely at 285 and then I think we're at I think it's like 346 or 348 up there. And see, and we were, Brian, what's yours? We were advertised at 305, and I think we're at 381 or 382, depending on. Oh, wow. So which. the LS is rated way higher then. Yeah. Okay. And the sad thing, though, is like the new Copo or like the new 15 Camaros, you know, they were actually rated the same as the LS1. Yeah. They just got funny. horsepower. So good for them. And now both you guys run the Metric 200 trans, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. I do. I'm assuming. I do as well. Yeah. Why don't you have a four speed in that? You know, the combo would be awesome then. Yes. My brother brings that up all the time. Um, <laughs> and that's he tells me that all the time. Yeah. So it's not just me. I, uh, Everybody's like, why is there a stick in there yet? I, uh, I actually am from a stick family. My dad has a four speed Barracuda super stock AH car. And my brother put a uh, stick in his, drag pack challenger so i am definitely the black sheep of the family um, so there's a good I, there's a good topic you come from a line of mopars and somehow you end up in a gm 
Yep. And it's not even my fault. Actually, my dad picked the car for me. So like he really can't say anything. But um, yeah, I'm the black sheep of the family in more ways than one, I guess. <laughs> I have a GM instead of a Mopar and uh, an automatic instead of a uh, stick. So I don't know. <laughs> He probably yeah. bought, he probably bought the car for himself, but he couldn't fit. So he's like, "All right, you're the one that's driving." No, it was definitely for me. He was a uh, he was looking, and at the time, um, we actually raced with Jimmy Penta a lot. I don't know if you remember Jimmy. He always had two Firebirds um, that looked pretty much identical. One was black, one was red, and they both said Jim Penta Racing on the side. So the black car is Jimmy's um, black Firebird. And the red one is, now belongs to Sal Mayo, so I call it my sister car because they're pretty much twins when they were first built. Have you ever thought about switching from the LT one? Um, right. I say I, I don't know if it's the girl thing, but I, I think girls get more attached to their cars. Katie's Katie's panic, and I talked about this a lot. Of course, Katie's had her car since high school, so I can't really compete with that. But I got mine right around when I finished college. And I think I'm kind of emotionally attached at this point. <laughs> um, I think it would be wise of me if I had the opportunity to switch um, from a heads up perspective, but I really love my car. So I, I don't think I'll ever be you, switching. You could just upgrade to the LS1 is what I was going at. Yeah, I could do that too. We have talked about that, but then, you know, if he updates, uh, you're almost better off taking the drivetrain out of, what I have and putting it in a Corvette. I mean, same with the LS1. The LS1 drivetrain is way better in a Corvette. So I, you still end up changing cars because the LS1 drivetrain and the Firebird, as you said, it's still kind of being, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that Corvette combo does seem super simple, but I think those cars would be kind of a nightmare to make work too. So it's kind of a... Yeah, I don't know, like, because, like, the Cummings both have them, and um, Cody Phillips, yeah, I mean, they seem to really make them work, and, I mean, it seems like a great combo. I wouldn't want to run any of them now, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I've, I've only looked at it in the most basic degree, but who knows? It, it looks like a great setup. So how many generations of racing are in your family? My dad is the first generation. So we're, um, my brother and I are second generation. Um, my grandfather loved cars, was very mechanical. He probably got my dad into cars and mechanics, but um, it wasn't until my dad went to college and it was actually his college, um, not a professor, but like a shop teacher in college. Because my dad went to a technical college. Well, it's, it's for an engineering degree, but it had a lot of technical aspects. They encouraged hands-on learning. And uh, one of the guys there loved drag racing and had my dad go into the track with him and loved Hemis, loved Mopars. And that's kind of how my dad got involved. How did you get yeah. introduced? Well, Porter Tree was founded the same year that I was born. So I was kind of, you could say, just brought up in it. Um, not that we went to the racetrack every weekend or anything, but I was always around racing. You know, we'd go to the races and my dad would be showing the products he was designing and he designed them to help himself with reaction time. You know, he used to make test track systems because he couldn't figure out, uh, he had a lot of questions about rollout, didn't fully understand it. So he built test tracks to actually launch his own vehicle in the yard and learn about 
all the aspects of racing to try to get better when he went to the racetrack. And I kind of just grew up around all that. So <laughs> as Doug would say, the needle was in the arm from the start. <laughs> <laughs> was that like, uh, so when, when was your first race? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I was just always around it. So I, I don't even remember the first time I went to a race. Like driving? Um, driving. The first time I drove was a junior race at, um, well, I drove the junior around like a parking lot, but the first time I actually raced it was probably at Maple Grove so you or start, English Town. So you ran a junior career then before you got into your soccer. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, my dad bought a junior. He thought they were the coolest thing. And I was petrified of it. I was <laughs> so scared. I did not want to be in the junior. I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to crash it. So I, uh, I actually like wouldn't race it. And so then three years later, my brother came along and he was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to race this thing. And he started winning like everything. I'm like, I'm kind of jealous now I didn't race that junior because like he won everything with it. it was, like every week he was coming home with another trophy. Nice. And uh, he was racing that for a few years. And then I finally was like, okay, you know what? I like to do this again. So he grew out of the first junior. They got him a new junior. And I went back into the first junior because I just don't grow. <laughs> and uh things went on from there i was never had a very illustrious junior career like i didn't win very much in juniors but i enjoyed it and um when the time came that i realized you know oh wow i may not be racing anymore because i'm 18 now and you know junior's done i was like i thought to myself it would be great to be able to continue i really enjoy this and that's when we got the firebird so. so you pretty much went from a junior to a B-stock automatic. Yeah, well, in those days, fuel-injected <laughs> automatic. <laughs> FIA. I forgot about that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it was... What? Um, now, you went to... Lower then. It, was, it only ran, like, 11 seconds back then. Yo, I missed that FIA. That was I would have had a sick uh, index back then. But I guess everybody would have, and everybody would have been just going 120 under. So what's the difference? Yeah, I still miss it. <laughs> Get me away from the 69 Camaro. Right, keep you away from the big blocks. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, you went to Cornell, right, for computer engineering? Is that right? Yeah, electrical and computer engineering. Um, Did you always know you were going to work for Portatree? Was that part of your plan, or is that just something you, you know you fell into? Just the family business was doing great. You might as well keep it up. I like the flexibility of being able to go racing. And um, not that you can't have that when you're working for other companies. Uh, I, When I first came out of Cornell, I worked for uh, Raytheon. And I worked on air traffic control systems. And it uh, they had a very flexible work schedule. But it's only flexible to a certain point. Like, they don't understand, oh, you're in a points chase you have a chance for this to happen. They don't understand that. So it's nice working with the family. It's nice, you know, if you're in that situation, they do understand. It's raining. I have to stay here till Tuesday. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you know, when I said I was coming back Monday, that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's much more flexible. Well, every trip is, every race is a work trip. Yes, that can be complicated. Uh, a lot of people like coming and ask you questions at the track, which I don't mind. Um, 
I know some people, like other people that are in the industry, I talk to them about that all the time. And it's hard, but I'm used to it. So I don't, I don't really mind so much. I know but I've done it's it. It's true. Allie, come here. Look at this practice tree. What's my rollout? Help me here. Yeah. Don well, Higgins, I want to turn on. What's my dial in supposed to be? <laughs> yeah. So. And um, the funny part is like people even bring other stuff over for me to fix. Like, oh, here's this Altronics weather station. Can you fix this? And like, <laughs> sorry. Oh. But, yeah. It, I mean, it's, I don't mind it. So you bring up a good point, Bobby. So for the new people like myself that are getting into it, I have a, I have a ported tree. Um, how do you, is, how important is the rollout? Like I've been doing different research. Some people say you should set everything at zero and just hit the tree, hit the tree, hit the tree, just more or less get used to the light. And then once you get in your car, you can adjust everything that way. Like how do you, as a brand new beginner, never knowing anything about drag racing, how would you suggest that you a buy your ported tree and how would you suggest starting? Yeah, so I always recommend for people to try to bring the car to them. I know there's some people that would prefer to bring themselves to the car, but I don't think you'll ever be as accurate or as consistent as you could be if you bring the car to you. So I always recommend when people first get it, um, if they're you know, open to the idea of bringing the car to them, that you stick it on Pro Tree, zero out the rollout, do like 10 to 20 hits, and kind of see where you're at. Um, when you do that, the reaction times that come up are pretty much the rollout number that you did. They're going to be negative. Don't get me wrong. You put zero rollout in, you're going to be way red. But the nice part about it is since every light's going to be way red, the greens and the reds won't really be throwing off the number. So uh, for example, some people see a red light and the next time they're way green or they see a way green light and the next time they're way red. When you do this, because you don't really know where you're supposed to be, I feel like it doesn't influence people as much. So I usually tell them zero the rollout, put it on pro tree, do 10 to 20 hits and kind of see what your average is, what your spread is. And from there, I usually take a number a little bit lower than the average and make that the rollout. So if I'm like around 330 to 340, I'd probably put 330 in as the rollout. And uh, then when you start practicing, um, basically you'll be slightly green. Well, you can, argue, you, can argue, you can argue the only thing that matters is your average. Like the closer you get that, whatever that static number is, the closer you get that to the same, the better yeah, you so, actually are. So actually you'd be arguing that the most important thing is the spread, which yeah. is 100% true. Um, you want like... Some of the better racers, I'd say, could have spreads less than 100. But, I mean, me, myself, I want to be less than 200, you know, and tighten it up from there. I think if you have a 200 spread you, or one and a half hundred spread, you can kind of um, set your car up so that you're – so, for example, if your spread is 15, you know, from the first time you pick up the practice tree till you – you know, no matter what the lights are, you know, your first light could be 40, your last light 55. That's still excellent because your spread is, you know, a hundredth and a half. That's great. That means like when you go to the track, you can set your car up to be 15. And you know, if you absolutely nail it, you know, you'll be trip zip or, you know, basically the thought is if you set your car up to be 15, you're going to be plus or minus seven or eight, you know? 
So if you're really nail it, you're going to be double O. And if you miss it a little bit, you're going to be in the twenties. That'd be a great place to be. Dream situation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's funny is Bobby and I always argue all the time that, you know, I look at everything from 30,000 feet because I don't know anything. So it's like just pure basics. Like, yeah, seeing a double O on the porta tree or the, you know, a practice tree is, it's more of an ego trip. Like, oh yeah, I was double O. Well, if you're double O to 080, that's not very good. In my opinion, like I just want to get that as consistent as I can because then you're just, all your training is the reaction from when you see the light, correct? Correct. I, um, I highly recommend, you know, people talk about having a spot and, um, the spot is great. You know, like it, it is the people that have spots. Some of them are amazing, you know, and then there's some people that count and they're amazing at it too. But I think for someone that's a beginner, that's never done it before. The best thing you can train yourself is just to react to the light because that is a fixed I hate to use the word spot, but it's a fixed thing. The light is always going to come on. You know, the third amber is always going to come on a half second after the second amber. Second amber is always going to come on a half second after the first. So, you know, that's a fixed location. If you say, oh, I see the third amber and then I wait, you know, a fraction of a second and then you go, I mean, okay. Well, the problem is that's not not static. Like, how do you replicate that? Exactly. But some people are good at it. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean... You can joke about it and everything, but like there are some people who can do it. The problem becomes if they ever lose their spot, how do you get it back? Like you, you're not, it's not an, it's a pretty much an arbitrary location. It's not, you know, a tenth of a second after the third amber. How do you, how do you judge that? You don't. So, I mean, I'm not saying people can't do it. There are some amazing racers out there and people that can do this. But I think you're always better off, especially a beginner, to learn to react to the light and then to either adjust how you stage or adjust um, the car and, you know, how the car reacts. And I find it hard to adjust the stage. Like, I'm not one of the – I don't know how people do the bump, the bump in after they stage up. Let's say you're the second person to stage, and now you're trying to hurry up and do those bumps that you need. Now you got to get on your two-step. You know, the top amber is already on. I don't, I'm not good at that, but there are people that, that can do that. And I just find that very difficult. I mean, at this point, when you need to fix your spot, you either need a coffee or a cheeseburger. And I don't know. (laughs) Apples, apples actually increase your reaction. Um, Oh, long-term too. They have good sugars. (laughs) All right. Yes. If you need other foods, apple a day, uh, I don't know. Someone told me chocolate, but I would think that's more instantaneous, you know, like instant boost. Um, I definitely know apples. I don't know. Ask your doctor what increases concentration. Like those are the big ones. Um, I loved apples, so I never had to go any further than that. <laughs> all right. So that's uh, that's how I'm going to, the next big money race Allison's going to, I'm going to buy all the apples from all the grocery stores. So she's going to show up unprepared. <laughs> she can't get any. Yeah. yeah. There'll be a shortage on apples that day now. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, other things. Uh, I I think it is helpful if you're bottom bulbing to try the pro tree just because that will teach you how to react to light. Um, I think a lot of times people that bottom bulb think they're reacting to the light when really they're either anticipating or sitting on the bulb. Uh, that's something I see a lot. And I, when those people come over to me and are telling me and showing me, I usually put it on pro tree just to see what happens. And when you put it on pro tree, make sure you match the rollout. So if you're using a 330 rollout, on the pull tree 
make sure you put that in the pro trade, 500, 330 rollout, you know, make sure you're trying to, to match it. And I mean, I'm not saying you stop doing bottom ball pits. It's still important to practice that way, but uh, I would suggest practicing pro tree and then, you know, maybe do like, if you do 20 hits a day, do 10 hits pro tree and then another 10 bottom and just see uh, if you're, uh, if your consistency improves, and that's what it's all about. So do you think it's good just to sit down and just pound on the tree and practice for an hour? Or would you recommend doing a couple of hits and walking away? Or what do you suggest there? I think everyone, what they need for practice, out of practice and to practice is different depending on who you are, what situation you're in and so on. Um, but this is what I usually do. So if I feel like I'm completely in left field, you know, every now and then you just lose it. You, no matter what you do, you're not hitting the tree as you want. I'll just go and I'll do, I might do 10 to 20 hits on the tree. I usually, also I should say, I usually practice in my car. I think that's really important um, because you get all the foot motions and the surroundings are exactly the same. I mean, how you sit in the seat is huge too. Um, especially if you're small like me, you know, can I see over the steering wheel in this position? <laughs> so I think sitting in the car to practice is huge, but um, I'll sit in the car and I will uh, do 10 to 20 hits. And I try not to do more than that because the lights start to blind you. But I feel that when I do a long number, large number of hits, towards the end, I will start to, I'll either get frustrated and get way out of the zone or I'll start honing in. And at that point, I'll walk away and then I'll come back within the same day and probably do 10 more to see if, you know, if my spread has gotten better. And I'll keep doing that throughout the day. So I call that like uh, my hardcore routine to get my consistency back on track. Now, once I feel like I'm in the zone or, you know, in a consistent spot or doing really well on the tree, I won't do that as much. I'll get in the car and I may do like three to five hits. And I call that my maintenance program. You know, it's more peace of mind to myself, showing myself I can do it, just hopping in and I'm exactly where I want to be. And again, I'm not worried about the number that comes up on the display. I'm just worried if I come, like, for example, I might be tired one day. I have the tree set up so that I'm teen. But when I come out the shop to practice, I'll be 25. Well, if I go 24, 25, 26, I'm not going to be very concerned that I wasn't 15, 16, 17. You know, it, I mean, that's not going to really bother me very much. Okay, I was a little tired. It was the end of the day. That's still excellent spread. And I just do it maintenance. If I find myself getting all over the place again, I might take a day where I do a large number of hits. And again, I feel like when you do a large number, you're more working on um, trying to get yourself back to where you need to be. You're working on um, form. So how you sit, um, how you're looking at the bulb, how you're focusing. And, um, and then once I get into the maintenance routine, I'm just trying to, whatever I found to work on that, day where I was figuring things out I'm trying to repeat that over and over again I know it's a lot but <laughs> no it's good I, this is very informative now those that are listening they you don't have to have a full-size big uh official tree to practice in your car you can bring your little porta tree in the car with you you have a connection that'll go from your tra uh, trans brake or 
two-step button that'll plug into the tree and you can mm -hmm. sit in the car and practice that way also it's good just to get your seat position your foot pedal pressure because sitting on the practice tree in your living room where you're using your thumb i mean that's not going to benefit me i've never left in a trans brake car in my life i don't even know what it's like to leave with your thumb it's either a clutch pedal or a two-step brake pedal for me yeah so, and i mean most people are slower off their feet um probably by about a hundred so i mean if you practice with your thumb all the time you may not realize those slight differences. And I mean, your feet are what you want to get consistent, especially if you're in a stalker, clutch car. Um, and, but the other good, cool part about getting the in-car connection is if you are practicing, like even if you're in a super stalker and have a button, you can use the exact button that you're using in the car instead of a practice button. So that's huge, you know, and I highly recommend it. And like you said, you don't need the full-size tree. Um, I think the full-size tree gives you the most realistic setup, you know, with the LED bulbs and everything, but a lot of people don't have 40 feet to put it out in front of their car. That's my problem. Yeah. I have to, it's too close and it is yeah. blinding. A lot of times my car is in the very back of the shop with a million other cars in front of it, you know, <laughs> two other cars, but you know, it, it's in the, all the way in the back. Cause it, it, you know, if it doesn't need maintenance, it just goes to the back of the shop. So I take my eliminator and I just set it on the hood. And then I run the two-step wire out and plug it into the side. So it works great. It's really easy to practice. I even practiced at the track. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, you come by and the eliminator's on the hood and that's what I'm doing. So, yep. so let's talk about that. So you can, how do you plug your two-step into your eliminator? Yeah. So basically the two-step, you know, behind all the magic it does with releasing the car and whatnot, it's basically just a 12 volt switch, you know? So when you, press the brake down, it's um, applying 12 volts. And when you release it, it's releasing, you know, going back to ground. So that's all it does. The trans brake connection for the next gen is looking for a 12 volt. 12 volt stages the tree, zero volt releases it. So when you have a trans brake connection or a two-step connection connected to your car, Basically, instead of going to the two-step, you know, when you're running, it's going into the practice tree. Just giving it a 12-volt on-off signal. So you got, do you guys wire into that? Yeah. Do you guys sell that connection with just like bare leads on that you wire in, or? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, red wire goes to the two-step signal, and black wire to ground. Super easy. Just hardwired and, uh, in and have it sitting right there in the hood. You just plug it in, and you're ready to party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it's great. I, I tell everyone when I am outside the car on the practice tree, I'm playing. When I am in the car on the practice tree, I'm practicing. There is that much of a difference. Excellent. Very informative. And so the, what's the latest model you have? Is, is it the uh, Eliminator 2000? Nope. The Eliminator Next Gen has a touchscreen, uh, full color display, so many new features. Like if you are a clutch racer you know stick racer it has shift points um it has so many delay box features which aren't really applicable to your audience but it does have that so if you're a bracket racer and a class racer it has all that stuff you'll need um it has so many random dial random uh, opponents so that you know one complaint i often had with the practice tree is that when you're in single user mode um the single user, the computer player, always cuts the same light. So now you can actually select a range. So you can have a 006 light, but you set your computer player to be 005 
15, you know, and uh, your computer player gets 005. It's completely random. It's not like it's trying to, you know, oh, we got a 006. So I'm going to make the computer player 005. No, it, it picks it before you even run. So it, it just, I think it adds a little bit more competition to it and makes the single lane practice a little more fun. Nice. Oh. Anything to simulate the real thing. Yeah, one of my new, the newest features that's my favorite, and people with older next gens may not have it, but all the new ones have it, is result blocker. And what that does is it actually blocks the results from the screen. So you can do like 10 hits and you'll have no idea what you had. If the lights are red, they won't show as red. It'll just completely block everything. And then you can go into the statistics and see uh, what your lights were. So then you know if the lights are affecting you or not. I'm not really sure how you can improve on it yet. You know, I haven't figured out, okay, well, how do I simulate, like, emulate this? If I do better that way, how do I emulate this in real life? I haven't figured that out yet, but it's still kind of neat. So it's, I, would think I think that, it shows people, yeah. I would think that'd be good mentally. Like, you can just go in, do your 10 hits, and you're not affected by any of the outcome. Like, you're not going to change your spot. You're not going to... Yeah. I mean, I think mentally you can start playing games. Like, oh, I missed that one. I need to step it up now. I mean, that would be kind of a... Right now, I think it's more to show people that they can do it. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I can't do that spread. But then, you know, <laughs> you put results block on, you yeah. out of the box. It's like, bing, bing. I did it for not saying Jeff Kondratik said he couldn't do it, but I did it, put it on Jeff's. And his spread was like 3,000. It was incredible. Like he did 10 hits and 3,000. It was like, wow. It, it was awesome. And we were trying to prove that there wasn't a problem with Kelly's car. Like, so he was in her super street car. And I just looked at him like, yep, this car is fine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because he did 10 hits in the car and was within like 3,000. Amazing. Now, I do try to, when I am practicing, I try not to look at the number. I try to guess in my head what I thought that was, then look at it, because I, I think that's beneficial to try and somewhat know what kind of light you had when you left the starting line so you can execute your whatever plan you have for the finish line. I think that's another benefit of the results blocker because you can do that. So like you could keep notes. Say you're doing 10 hits. So the first hit you could be like, oh, I think I'm 10. So you write 10 down. Oh, I think I'm 15. And you're going to have no idea until you bring the stats up and then compare, you know, right. what you thought versus what you actually were. So for, and then, uh, mm -hmm, go ahead. For, for our listeners that don't have a port or tree or, or not practicing like they should, how do we how do we get started? How do we find you? Yeah, so we're on Facebook. You can uh, find us there, but the best way to get one is just to go right to our website at www.portatree.com. Um, and we have the Eliminator Next Gen, and there's also the Portatree Pocket, which might be, it's a lower budget practice tree. It's a single user handheld practice tree. Um, it just fits in your pocket and you can carry it around. Um, extremely beneficial, especially for people traveling to the track. So I would probably recommend one of those, especially to get started. Um, and is that, is that a battery operated, the practice or the uh, pocket yes. tree? Because you can have that in your race car and you can have that in the staging lanes for people that want to like hit it real quick a couple times before they go up to the line. Both can run on batteries, uh, the next gen or the pocket, but the pocket definitely has a longer battery life. Is there any promotions or sales or anything for people listening? <laughs> we just finished our Christmas sale, holiday sales and stuff. Um, I'm really not sure what's going on right now. I probably should know this stuff, shouldn't I? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, next time you have a sale, we can uh, maybe we'll, we can get the audience to. Uh, you know what? If they uh, contact on Facebook or Instagram, just message us through there, and I can get you guys five percent off if you're here through the show. So just tell me you are listening to Bobby and uh, Brian show, and uh, I'll give you guys five percent off. Just message me through Facebook or Instagram um, on the Poetry Facebook or Instagram page. How's that work? That sounds that good. Sounds, Great. Sounds now I'm going to have to buy another one. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Great. Outside of the port tree brand, though, Allison, because she's, you know, an electrical engineer, she has provided us in D1. I don't know if you do the rest of the country, but NHRA text messages us. We sign up for text message um, alerts when, you know, it's time for stock or super stock or whatever your class is to go to the lanes. I did not know that you set that up for them. So that was a really cool feature. Yeah. I always, um, I'm concerned at tracks where you can't hear the radio or the radio's not working or for whatever reason, you can't really hear the lane calls. So I always thought it would be neat if you just got a text. Um, I did a lot of development on it and the national all uses it. I'm not sure if all the divisions are still using it, but they all have it. So, um, not that I want to see you guys attack your division directors, but if, if they're not using it, they do have it. <laughs> what about texting a time slip? That's never gotten anybody in trouble either, has it? <laughs> so uh, the time slip stuff's a little more complicated, um, but uh, I do know that uh, someone from Canada has set up a time slip app. So I think if anything, time slips are going to go the app way, but I'm not saying it's out of the question. It just might get costly to do texting time slips. And it probably depends on the software at the track too for older systems. Uh, you guys have your own timing system. I'm assuming that Portatree and CompuLink, I mean, is it safe to say they're competitors in the timing system world? Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, there's like about four different timing system companies now. Uh, some of the older ones are starting to go out of business like TSI. Uh, but there's still four companies. Uh, we do, we're able to do divisionals. CompuLink's the only one approved for national events. But it's constantly changing. So hopefully, maybe in the future, we'll be allowed to do national events as well. But now it's To my understanding, you guys have your system set up at no Problem Raceway in Bella Rose, uh, mm -hmm. the Texas Motorplex, Lebanon Valley Dragway. You're also international, Australia. Oh, uh, yes. Kuwait, Qatar, or Qatar, however you say it. I don't know. Yes, they're all over the world. Um, also, a huge presence in Malaysia. Uh, believe okay. it or not, Malaysia has like three or four tracks. And wow. um, every island in Hawaii had a racetrack, and they all had our timing system. But Oahu track closed down due to metropolitan issues you know like any like english town you know there was a lot of stuff moving in and yeah. the land was more valuable as housing and other stuff and industrial property but um maui Kauai, and uh the big island all have four tree tracks it's wow. awesome well here's my question if texas motorplex has your system how will they have a national event will they switch to CompuLink that day and yep that is the plan as far as i could tell but I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, they have months to figure that out. Yeah, that sounds like a well, – I don't know a whole lot about the topic, but they have to reinstall infrared beams and just do the whole – like, does NHRA, when there's a national, do they bring in their own equipment? I know they bring in their own tree. Other they bring in that, their own timer. They bring mm -hmm. in their own timer. Um, 
as far as I know, there's two national event timers and um, they bring them in. So you're running on a different timer. So, you know, you run at New England Dragway for the divisional, the timer they use for the national at New England Dragway is not the same timer. That can get frustrating, especially if it's a divisional national back-to-back, like everybody runs the baby Gators and then they stick around for the Gainesville, the Gator Nationals. And it's a possibility that you could have two different timing systems and seven days spread. Oh, you do. <laughs> you, you, I, I don't believe, I, because I believe when the national comes in, I'm pretty sure they don't use the national timer for the baby gators. Um, uh, the wires are the same, like the, uh, you know, they don't play new wires. The sensors are usually the same. I've noticed that a lot of time when the, they come in for the nationals that they actually replace the sensors. Uh, it, it's the one time a year, a CompuLink representatives at the track. So they tend to replace sensors. Um, I think that's why a lot of people notice rollout changes when you go from a divisional to a national, even when they're back-to-back weekends. But It just seems like a national is usually a tighter rollout than a divisional, correct? I, I couldn't say. It's supposed to be the same, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it, it's supposed to be the same. Um, but it, it is being set for the national, so I would say that if they didn't set it for the divisional the weekend before it could be different um and then there's the thing where they change like, you know rollout can be different day to day if they go and clean sensors on you um it, there's so many factors honestly the best approach what should be done in my opinion this is 100 my opinion you know <laughs> is that when any when the nhra comes to any track for any type of race the rollout should be set the very first day they arrive, you know, and that's before the test and tune before anything. Uh, technically, uh, when you race a divisional, the track isn't in the NHRA's hands until after the test and tune. But I oh. think it would be more beneficial to set the rollout before the test and tune, you know? Right. That's the whole, well, it's, sometimes that's the whole point of a test and tune for people. Other times, you know, people are just trying to make sure yeah. their stuff won't break. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> The very first thing I think that should always be done is set the rollout. But Absolutely. I've noticed in recent years, I don't think that happens as often as it should. At least check it, you know? So it, it takes all of five seconds to know where it's at. What are your thoughts on True Start? Um, I, would, I think, I don't know. I have mixed opinion about it. I think it's, uh, I do think it levels the playing field between fast cars and slow cars. Like it seems to me like from a logical perspective, I'd say that's where things should be, you know, it makes sense. Um, But at the same time, I think it's hard to apply it to stock and super stock racing because of the history of the sport. I mean, true start completely changes the outcome of everything. And we have so much history with, with the system as it is. So I'm kind of conflicted. I, I don't know. There you go, now, Bobby. We haven't asked that I know. For a on while. top of that, I mean, we didn't. We I've kind of given. I don't even ask about the true star and the e shift. Ali, you run e shift, right? Oh, she doesn't want to answer. I oh, know. I think she left us. No. I think you've scared her away with your true start question. <laughs> she hung Com- up the phone. Com- uh, her father just the called her of, up. And the said, powers no. of B say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not that conversation." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You have been put in jail. <laughs> right. Live. <laughs> oh, that's I mean, clever. Just think about like the information that Allie 
has to offer. And this, this, this girl is so very smart. I've asked her so many questions and not only that she, she tunes, you know, her own fuel injection. I've bounced ideas off of her. I mean, we could have an episode with Allie for three hours and learn something, you know, the entire time. That's how knowledgeable she is. Yeah. It's been pretty awesome. Like I think just the basic fundamentals of how to practice and how to, I mean, there's, I don't know if anybody really tells you how to do it. You're just kind of in there guessing and flopping around and, I know I'm going to use some of the ideas she had and just start, you know, try to get more where you're reacting off the light instead of trying to guess it. I I was just going to ask her at the end to wrap up um, if she'd had any experience with Andy Bernard being a Cornell grad. <laughs> hey, maybe. Who knows? She did. She just lost. She lost Internet. She told me she just texted me. Oh, so. Well, her. I think they cut the line after the. Uh, True start. Yeah. Yes. That's it. They're listening. Yeah. I mean, nowadays everyone's listening, so buckle Cheetah up. Tur- uh, what Turbo Shift said, uh, <laughs> E-Shift, no. <laughs> right. None of that. I didn't um, get to ask her about Alpha N or speed density. I mean, she's a, an absolute genius when it comes to tuning uh, Holly fuel injection, too. So, so even- we'll have to get Allie on again. You know, Brian, if we're struggling this year and, like, we're not hitting the tree right or we're not our, our cars aren't running right, we just get, you know, we get Allie and Mike Manns on together and we just... Bobby, did you say if you're struggling this year? <laughs> Craig, you beat me to it. <laughs> That's the one thing I look forward to every week is getting to beat on Bobby and you just stole my thunder. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> right. Well. Well, I don't know how much I'm racing this year. That's why I'm not planning on struggling. <laughs> Ooh. That, that's one way to do it. Just don't don't show up. Don't show up, then I won't struggle. That has nothing to do with it. I'm going to have to listen to that thing about three times over again so I get my notes updated how I need to practice and just awesome and thanks for being on Allie and I appreciate that and like everybody heard um, message her on Facebook uh, the Porta Tree Facebook page yes and uh, Porta Tree Facebook page or hit us up and we'll put you in contact oh hang on she's, she's trying to get back in let's see if we can wrap up with it real quick so even the greatest podcast in the world has censorship did you hear that right <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Can you guys hear me? Yes. We we just figured that Big Brother was uh, controlling the the talk of True Start. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Uh, No, someone unplugged the router here. Well, he's a stick shift racer. So, like, you know, when he heard E shift, he totally killed the power. He hit the breaker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I like the idea of True Start. I think it, um, it definitely seems like the fair thing to do, like, from a logical standpoint. Like, it, we have the technology to do it. It makes sense to do it. Um, There's the genius right there. There he is. <laughs> he didn't know it was video. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but at the same time, I think it's just hard to make the change because we have so many his- years of history, especially in stock, super stock, and a lot of championships would have gone, like, it would change the outcome of a lot of past championships. So, like, I just feel that, uh, or at least I would think it would go a different way. Like, for example, in 2019, um, the first race of the year I went to at Virginia, I lost a round that I would have won if for if True Start was in place. But then at New Media, I won a round that I would have lost if True Start was in place. And I won New Media. 
Do you mm. think that that is much different than the advent of uber slow-mo instant replay in other sports? Because, I mean, that has absolutely taken the guesswork out of some of these fine hairline calls. Is that Would it be similar? Mm, not really. It's It's truly just changing the way... It's basically a rule change. It would be, it's completely changing the way certain races are who's declared the winner. Right, but what I'm wondering is the, you know, the the talk of well that that would change the, you know, the outcome of prior races. It would have changed them. Well, instant replay would have done the same thing had they had it. Oh, is that a similar yeah. conversation? Yeah, I, I guess that is true, and it's just the idea that I mean, stock and super stock have been always been run a certain way. Right. I'm not saying that's you know change is horrible i i am i love change i'm a techie so like you know if anything i'm more on the side of it than others but uh that would be my only fear is that it makes it kind of different mm-hmm. how the championships run you know it for example the eighth mile quarter mile argument that's going on right now on facebook over the bracket finals uh that would completely change the history of the bracket finals to change it from quarter to eighth. So, I mean, I, I think it's on the same lines of that. Again, not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's interesting and um, not opposed, but hey, I'd still race it no matter which way it went. So, <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I look at things, but it would just be different. And also on in the broad scale, I, just looking back too, I think it would only have changed maybe two rounds that I've ever run in both in 2019. Before that, I didn't really have any runs that it would have affected, which is interesting. (laughs) Well, Allie, we're going to leave it to you to, since you are the timing system queen here, can you start making sure that these tracks turn on the damn live timing when we're there? Uh, For Friday morning qualifying at a divisional and for Thursdays at a national. And while you're at it, make sure that NHRA TV is on for Thursdays at Nationals too, because we pay 100 to 125 dollars for that subscription a year, and sometimes our runs aren't even on there. I'm leaving that uh, to you. That's your job. That's your. Oh, uh, I don't know if I could control that. Well, maybe at Lebanon Valley and Bell Rose, I can, I can help right. you. But uh, no, I know it's it's tough, and um, some of the times it's just the feed line. You know, like they they can't tell if the feed line's working or not, and until everything's going, but. I know it's frustrating. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been educational for sure. Like I said, Allie, when you were fighting the internet connection, I mean, we could have you on here for three hours and learn something, you know, the entire time because you're very knowledgeable, you're very smart, and you're very kind to share the knowledge that you have also. You've always been helpful, especially to me when I've come up to you at the track. Allie, what's this rollout seem like to you? Or Allie, are both lanes the same? Or Allie, my fuel injection's acting up. What do you think about this? So definitely, she's definitely somebody you can bounce ideas off of and learn something from. Uh, yeah, I know, right. the, I know the education that I just received in the last hour is pretty huge. I mean, just, and that's kind of the whole premise of the show is let's dumb it down and let's give something for everyone, whether you're just starting or whether you're in a rut or maybe you're killing it and you just want to be better. Like that's great things and I thankful for you for sharing with us Allie no problem happy to happy to help you guys out and uh it's always it's been fun I've had a great time Allie where uh where can people find you specifically uh do you have any social medias or contact info that you'd like to share 
Yeah, I'm on social media. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Those are probably two I'm most on. I'm, I'm on Twitter more just to read what everyone else is writing. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I find Twitter just to be an entertaining right. location. <laughs> uh, I'm there. I just don't share a lot. Uh, but uh, And then, of course, to get on Portatree. Uh, Portatree is primarily on Facebook and Instagram. And I try to, I do most of the posting on Portatree's page. So if you're messaging Portatree, you're basically messaging me as well. So <laughs> there you go. Good to know. And Excellent. a reminder for our listeners, uh, if they hit you up on Facebook or Instagram and just mention the uh, Class Racing Today podcast, they will receive 5% off, correct? Correct. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Brian and Bobby, any last thoughts before we wrap this killer episode? I just want to get done so I can go practice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. This is been practicing the whole time while we were podcasting. You so should have. That's right. So totally focused. Give her my range. <laughs> right. This is Class Racing Today, uh, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. This is uh, it's still 2021. Brian and Bobby, thanks a lot. Allie, thank you so much for coming on and giving your insight uh, and a little bit of the technical knowledge you have. Um, we appreciate it. ClassRacingToday.com is the website. ClassRacingToday at gmail.com if you have any comments, suggestions, uh, or you want to come on the show. Send us a note. For Brian and Bobby, this is Craig. Have a great day. Happy New Year once again. See you next time. Bye.